Welcome to our Simply Sustainability podcast presented by Clarisys. In this series, we look at what can sometimes be the intimidating topic of sustainability and break it down into digestible, bite-sized chunks to help you on your way to a more sustainable future. In today's podcast, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to Seb from TripShift, who provide automated carbon tracking for employee commutes, business travel and transport. So let's start with some introductions. So I'm here with Sebastian Thomas, the commercial director of TripShift. Seb, could you tell us a little bit about you and your, your role at TripShift? Yeah, so hi, everyone. Pleasure to be here, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm Sebastian Thomas. As Sam just mentioned, I'm the commercial director at TripShift. So my role is essentially to engage customers and make sure the product is running efficiently and, you know, bringing our product to market. Fantastic. It's great to have you, Seb. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking all about TripShift's purpose and the impact that you want to create, particularly on the way that we move. So could you start off by you telling us a little bit about your mission and purpose at TripShift? What is it that you're trying to do? Yeah, so what we're trying to do at TripShift is help businesses and communities decarbonize their transport emissions. And the way we do that, you know, first of all, is we break down the barriers that are preventing them from actually focusing on the reducing aspects of their emissions rather than scrambling to collect the data. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess, why is this important? Why is it that you think this is a kind of a, a, a valuable pursuit? Well, I, as much as I personally enjoyed the very warm weather we've had in London so far, I, I noticed most people uh, didn't. And I think it, you know, it's just reemphasizing that we're seeing a very, an accelerating trend when it comes to climate and climate change. And that, you know, it, it's having a, obviously a huge impact on our, our day-to-day lives and, and more frequently so than before. Transport in itself comes to about, you know, depending on the statistics, you look at 20 to 25% of global emissions. And it's a sector that we set out because there's actually a lot of solutions already out there. And there's a lot of quick wins that both businesses and communities could do to actually quite drastically reduce the carbon emissions. And in addition of that, of course, there's, you know, all the longer term goals, but it's an area where we clearly have to address because movement and travel is always going to be part of our lives. Uh, as much as, you know, some of us you know, might want to you know, not travel or, or, or vouch for not traveling, there's always going to be an aspect of moving in our lives. And so that's why it's something we think we need to address, because if we don't address it, then, you know, we're not going to achieve all our goals for net zero, decarbonizing the economy or our lives in general and society. Got it. And that that makes a lot of sense. And it's really apparent how important addressing travel is to tackling the climate crisis. Why did yourself, the other guys at TripShift think that travel was the one that you really wanted to address rather than other areas of infrastructure or energy? Why is there a personal passion for travel kind of at TripShift? Well, the original founders actually, well, some of them have a background in in aviation. Uh, And that's how they actually started focusing a lot more on travel, because obviously it was the lives they were living, the area of work that they were dealing with. But also just, you know, for the simple fact that, again, as I mentioned before, it is a constant across everyone's life, at least for most part of it and for most people. And in one way or another, you are going to be moving around, whether it is locally, whether it is down to your supermarket, whether it is down, you know, internationally flying, etc., And therefore, we thought this is a crucial area that needs to be addressed, both through decarbonization of transport, you know, adapting the way we move, but also in terms of changing people's behavior. Because again, it's not just about finding new technologies and new solutions, but a huge part of it is going to come down to changing people's behavior and how we see it and how we, you know, we travel in general. Got it. And you guys have obviously seen that there is this real need for change and it's what you're passionate about. But are you seeing 
organizations, policymakers, etc., the big change makers in, in our world saying that this is important to them? Is that something that you've kind of seen? Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing pressures from all different stakeholders on businesses, especially, both from, you know, we can see, I mean, in London, we've got, you know, a climate protest every, you know, second to third week. There's clearly a pressure from the consumer level, from commuter level. People are also wanting to have better and greener modes of transport, different solutions. We're seeing pressure come on a governmental side. We see legislation coming through you know, across the globe. In the UK, we've got regulations from the TCFD. So companies are going to have to disclose their transport and travel emissions. In the Netherlands as well, for example, from the 1st of January, companies over 150 employees will have to disclose their emissions as well when linked to transport. The states also have a legislation coming through. So we see a pressure from there, but also you know, purely from a, an investment perspective as well, stakeholders and board members are increasingly asking for companies for their ESG strategies, for their risk assessments when it comes to the climate crisis. And also when it comes just to investments, if you have an investor coming, most times, and it's an increasing trend is, they're going to ask you, what is your plan for carbon disclosure uh, and mitigation? So we see a real squeeze from all sorts of different areas for businesses to actually take you know, concrete action about this, not just talking, but now concrete action needs to happen. Got it. And with that concrete action that's required, you mentioned before, there's some quick wins that people should take. But if, if you were advising organizations on changing the way that they and their people move, where would you start? What are the big things that you would kind of outline? The first thing you need to do, organizations do, is to, you need to understand where you stand. So right? you can't reduce what you can't measure. And a lot of companies, because Scope 3 wasn't mandatory so far, which is the category in which commuting and business travel and logistics just falls under, they don't really know where they stand. So before you start talking about reducing and incentives, you need to have a clear picture of where you stand as a company. And for that, you need to collect a lot of data and a lot of also quality data. And that's where we come in in the picture because we can help companies get that. Once you have a clear view of where you stand and you can identify patterns and analyze your data, you can then start setting out your plans, whether it's for reduction, whether it's for mitigation, new you know, customer incentive plans for employees. If you're going to be talking to your partners of your uh, supply chain, you need to start, first of all, with a clear picture and clear understanding where you stand. So that's where you can then you can set your benchmarks and start reducing from there on. Got it. That makes a lot of sense in terms of being really clear on what the, the challenges ahead of you in that bespoke challenge. But across the organizations that you've been working with, is there any big trends in terms of solutions or changes that they've been looking to make based on the data and that baseline that they've determined? What we found out is that everyone starts with a very nice goal without necessarily thinking about how they're going to get there. We were talking to a company just the other day who told us we're going to be carbon neutral by the end of our fiscal year, which is you know, if anybody knows how to become carbon neutral and you've got very little data, it's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. The situation we found, again, is a lot of people come to us saying, our directors have made a decision. We're going to be net zero by 2030. We have no clue how we're going to do it. Where should we start? And again, so it's all about getting reliable data across your board. It's about collecting also the right tools. So one trend we have seen before is that companies are looking for a one-stop shop solution. They think there's going to be one magical tool that's going to give them all the data they need across all their scopes, one, two, and threes. And that's going to basically solve their problems. They'll either you know, mitigate everything or just offset everything. What they found is actually the requirements for the reporting are a lot more detailed than that. And the amount of data they need to collect is substantial. So 
just having people punch in manual data all the time is just not going to cut it anymore. And so it's about getting a combination of specialized tools that can integrate together and are going to then allow you to identify those patterns. Now, a lot of the patterns we've seen so far is, uh, and it won't be a surprise to most people, is that most of the emissions of a lot of companies, especially service-based companies, is employees driving in vehicles in, pri in their private cars. How do you then get those employees out of their cars and into another greener mode of transport or where it is possible? Because that's also another key. A trend we've seen also so far is that there's a lot of big promises and a lot of sort of big paintbrush strokes uh, that they think will sort it. So everyone can get a bike incentive scheme. Everyone gets, I don't know, an incentive to get an electric vehicle. But the key here, and especially with the change in the way we're working and the way society is moving around with, you know, how we're adapting after the pandemic and, and between working flexibly, working from home or not, or from the office, is that the patterns of how we move are changing more frequently. Also, the modes of transport we're using are since micromobility has come into play, has also increased quite drastically. So understanding mobility is a lot more complex than before. So you can't just get everyone's on a bicycle scheme. Everyone's on a, we're going to give everyone a voucher for electric car. You need to talk to your employees, understand how they're moving so you can have targeted, realistic incentives that are actually going to work and stick and then, you know, reduce your carbon emissions that are linked to your transport. Absolutely. I think that's that's a big thing that we've seen is that, in any areas of change around kind of carbon reduction, it's one and yes about the technology. So electric vehicles or the very simple technology of bicycles, but it's more about users and what users are willing to do, what they need to be able to access those solutions and kind of whether or not that that'll actually work. Because if you don't do that thinking, you're potentially investing loads in an EV scheme or in an alternative scheme that's just not actually going to work for your people. So it would certainly echo that. I guess we've talked about the challenge of making sure that solutions are designed around users. Are there other big challenges that you've seen in changing the way that the people of the UK and uh, kind of abroad move? Are there, are there other things that you're seeing that's limiting the ability to change? As with most things, the biggest obstacle to change is ourselves, and then obviously our behavior. I was, um, without disclosing my age, I was born in the early 90s. Uh, and I remember the shift of, you know, the European Union borders, you know, basically opening all the borders, the change to the euro. Um, but more importantly, you know, this sort of rise of Ryanair, EasyJet, and being able to just jump on a plane like it's a bus for, you know, about 20 euros or 20 pounds and being in London on the weekend and coming back. I think we've gotten so used to just uh, especially in you know mainly in, in Europe and the Western world to just jump on any kind of plane and it's just absolutely normal. I think that is the big change where we've gotten so used to it that we think that it's just impossible not to live that way anymore. And I think we saw that during the pandemic because you could see when finally the you know the the restrictions were lifted, how many people scrambled to the airport just to go on holiday <laughs> instead of maybe you know going holiday abroad or. Or, or locally. Again, it's not about telling people, for example, you know, I'm using the example of flight. It's not about telling people not to go on a flight. It's about where you can, there are options where you can use greener modes of transport. So for example, I don't go to Paris by plane anymore. I go by train. One, because it's a much more pleasant experience, actually. If, if anyone's taken a plane from Gatwick or Luton to Paris, it's a nightmare between that and the coach and the actually finally getting into Paris will probably take you about you know five hours by the end of it. But if you look also at not only the user experience, but if you look at the carbon impact, one side of it is just the pure direct emissions. 
of you know taking the plane. But then the other side is all the sort of collateral emissions that are going to be linked to that flight or to that train ride. So there's such a huge difference between your carbon footprint, between taking a flight and taking a train, for example, that those are the kind of behaviors that we are encouraging in companies, for example. It's about making realistic changes where it is possible. So for example, again, we often go to Bristol to talk to some of our partners. We usually try as much as possible to avoid going by car and go by train. But again, that is realistic. It's about still getting you where you need to go, but in a way that is you know, realistic, that it's not going to take you three days by train. I've done those trips before where I've done like about 24 hours on a train. It's just it's not necessarily realistic. Yeah, so we've been doing a couple of pilots in that space this year as Clarisis. We did team go to Geneva for a client workshop and event that we were a part of. And some of it was great. Some of it was brilliant. It meant there was space for the team to work together, to talk together on the way there and collaborate. There was lack of Wi-Fi at different points, which made working hard. There was some extra additional, potentially travel fatigue. But if and where it's possible for clients, we will try and take that train option. And I think that's something that there's been a little bit of on certain aspects, there's been a bit of reticence on businesses and, and just infrastructure in general. But again, we think change is impossible till we actually tried for about two hours and we're like, oh, actually, that's not that bad. And we saw the same thing during the pandemic. This was kind of the silver lining of all the sort of very difficult times was we realized, well, actually, we can live in a very different way. And it's actually not that bad in terms of, you know, I can work flexibly or maybe I don't need to fly every second weekend or so. But there's a role for companies and governments as well to give the space for people to have that change in behavior. Because again, if you give a certain space or a service, people will go for it. They will fill that space. And I've got a perfect example of two, and I I won't name names, but two different companies in the banking sector in Canary Wharf. One said, okay, we're going to invest in making a lot more space for bicycles. We're going to invest in better showers, for example, et cetera. The other one said, well, we don't reckon no one's going to, you know, it will will drop off. So we're just going to leave the usual thing. The company that did the investment and drastically expanded their bike space, et cetera, saw a huge increase in people actually taking the bicycle and go and commuting to work by bike. And again, as you said, if there was reliable internet on trains and you could have maybe a certain space where it was made for, you know, you could have your, your meeting in peace, you know, it wouldn't have been such an issue. No. Right? So, 100%. And we are now setting our travel policy and a lot of it, the data that we've gathered has shown we can do that sort of train commute and that that will be fine. What we've also seen is that we have an unlimited holiday policy, for example, and there are more of our staff who are taking trains for trips or for personal trips than they would in the past because they've got that space to do that. Now, I guess the next step for us is going, what's the incentive beyond you can do it? Like, why would you do it? And trying to make more of that in terms of encouraging people in their personal lives to fly differently. We've given them some of the capability and obviously some of that's their own personal choice, but we want to be playing an active role in that. Cool. Thanks, Eb, for um, talking us through some of those big challenges and opportunities in terms of transport. Now, I'm sure those who listen to it, and I certainly am interested in learning a little bit more about you, but also understanding a bit more about what your experience has been like at working at a climate-focused startup. So I guess if we just start off with your journey and like, how did you come to, to working at TripShift? Why did you want to work in a climate-focused startup? I was always attracted to 
working well back then it wasn't even called startups just entrepreneurship in general i think there's a bit of a streak of that in my family as well from both my my grandfathers on, on both sides were always keen for a project or something on the side and my mother runs her own own business etc so i was always interested in that mainly also because you get to work with so many different people and different sectors right so i was always interested in learning and hearing about different sectors and how they could cooperate and collaborate and come to solutions together uh, so i've always been attracted to those kind of environments where you really is fluid in the sense of working with a lot of people from different backgrounds sectors and essentially coming with to you know conclusion solutions together in terms of climate well i i was really kind of looking also for a job that I could have you know, more of a purpose, I suppose, in as well. A job that also would have some sort of impact, uh, more than just me earning a good checker in the background at the end of the month. My personal journey around sustainability started more around understanding how to manage your resources. So I, I grew up mainly on farms. Yeah. My family has a farm back home and is always learning about you know, how do you make things effective? How do you make sure that your environment is working well? And from the get-go, we always had this view of if you take care of the land, the land will take care of you kind of thing. From that, I moved on to you know, at university, I say policy management, which has nothing to do with farming. But it was also, again, about how do you make things effective? How can governance help the efficient running of, you know, both the economy, but not society, climate, etc.? And from there, I kind of connected the two. And I started my first sort of venture into sustainability and business by opening my own sort of enterprise in, in South Africa. Now, this was nothing to do with with, with TripShift and, and SaaS projects and, and technology. It was It was, again, linking back to farming. It was about food goods and growing sustainable food, but of high quality. But our purpose was not only to provide, we, you know, just for specification, we were growing mushrooms, gourmet mushrooms. But our main purpose was not only to provide a really good quality product, but it was to show that you can have a sustainable business that runs a profit that is effective, that has growth, but it is not necessarily harming everything around it in terms of, you know, we're not just dumping our waste somewhere or or just consuming a lot. We had developed a new way of, you know, sort of growing the mushrooms and new sort of growing rooms that was highly efficient in terms of energy, water, etc. So again, my main purpose was always sustainability makes sense in everything in life, whether it is financial, whether it is you know how you eat in terms of you know a balance is always good. You don't need to go to extremes, and I found the same thing at, at TripShift in terms of what we're trying to do at TripShift is find that balance of helping people where it is realistic. So you know giving them that nudge where it can be realistically made. So it's again, it's not about telling everyone jump on a bicycle or a pedalo and, and you know, you can't never fly or take a car again. It's about where you can make that little effort. And you'll see that actually it goes a very long way. And once you've done it, it's not that difficult to do and you'll get used to it quite quickly. I think that's that's huge in terms of that, that nudge aspect. I think we do need radicalism. There's no denying that we are at a point where we need radical transformation but people are more likely to adopt the radical if they make the first steps yeah. and see how and see how easy it is. So I'd completely, completely agree with that. What I'd love to know a, a little bit more about is you've obviously been in a startup in this space where you guys are looking to create an organization that could help loads and loads of other organizations across the world. What's your been your experience? Are there funding? Is there support for organizations like yourself who are trying to solve some of the biggest challenges in the world kind of what what's your experience been like there 
yeah, there's definitely a lot to do. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to do. And, um, but at the same time, there's a huge amount of solutions out there. There's, there's a huge amount of people that are coming with the most innovative ideas. And one thing we found as well is, you know, it's great to talk to different people because you might think you have a solution that is very specific and very niche and you give it to one of your clients and they flip it on its head and they're using it for something else that you didn't think of. And that's one really also good thing about interactive with, you know, as many companies and, and startups sort of innovative companies around you. There definitely is a trend of more investment coming in. And let's be honest, it's also because of the pressure that, that's been coming through. Again, as we talked about before, you know, companies are being squeezed from every direction and pressured to actually take concrete action, not just, you know, for the last, we've been talking about climate change for the last what, 20 years at least on a more serious, you know, when it's become actually mainstream, uh, you know, it, it went from climate change, the global warming, climate crisis. We've rebranded it in you know, all sorts of different names, but we've been talking about it for a while, but we've never been really taking concrete action about it. And now I think it's obviously a combination of events between what we're seeing around with the climate events, but the energy crisis also, again, as much as the cause of it is extremely sad and distressful, the opportunity to actually nudge people and especially governments to shift to green energy is definitely there. So there definitely is funding. I think there still is a way to go in terms of, because it's a very sort of, it's a big space. There's a lot of people in it and there's a lot of noise. So there's still quite a bit of, I'm going to say, filtering to go through. There's a lot of people who, which actually, you know, they're giving out a lot of noise, but the solutions they are doing are actually not really that innovative. And it's just a rehashed version of what they were doing before. I think the big push needs to mainly come from, you know, if you look at government bodies or, or big companies. And you see that trend happening now with legislation and big companies and, and especially investment companies pushing a lot more on green policies is there needs to be more concrete action. And that's what we're starting to see happening. And we've been seeing that happen also from since TripTrip has actually started talking to clients. The shift is and sort of the mentality is accelerating at quite a steady pace. So um, yeah, a lot to go for. It's going to be a long road ahead, but it's looking like it's going in the right direction, hopefully. I agree. And the regulation point's so interesting. For me, there's a couple of key aspects to it. There's one, there's the time frame that we're working on where the markets are shifting, they will shift, but they're not going to do it at the pace that's necessary without that market regulation. And the second thing is that particularly in the larger organizations, you can afford maybe the supporting infrastructure and the people to make the change. They are calling out for regulation because they want guidance, they want yeah, standardization, absolutely. they want this stuff to happen. It's not like they are going, we're against it. They want it because it, it will help kind of level a playing field around it and yeah. provide the guidance that they need. So I'm definitely pro-regulation in this space. And, and often businesses, big business, ask for it. Everyone thinks that big business is running away from you know, new legislation, but often they're the ones, you know, I, I was looking, listening at a webinar, I think it was one of the business leaders of, of Siemens, I believe, who were saying, we want that regulation because then we have a clear line to go for. And he said, don't worry about us. We'll find solutions. That's what we do. Business always finds solutions. They've, you know, we're the most flexible ones, but there needs to be an initiative from the legislative side. And, and quite frankly, I also agree that if we really want to make that big step, legislation has to come through. Yeah. And it's great to see that, you know, quite a few countries are now implementing legislation in the most you know, countries that are causing a lot of, of emissions, like in Europe or the States, et cetera. But there needs to be that sort of parallel hand-in-hand -hand journey between big business and government. Because again, you know, as we discussed also before, 
the consumers already sold them. Most people say, you know, if I can have a greener mode of transport, I'm very happy to use it, but it needs to be there, right? A lot of people are saying, I'd be happy to have an electric vehicle, but I've got no charge points around me. So I'm not going to be bothered to park my car 300 meters away from my house because I don't have a parking space charge it have to move it but if they had a solution and again the, the technology will come the infrastructure will come for that it's just a question of time but obviously the more pressure there is for those infrastructures to be there the quicker it's going to happen so i want to finish up with just a bit of a difficult question so look we know the climate crisis is not caused necessarily by individuals behavior it's a lot about large emitters the way that we work from a corporate perspective our energy mix etc we need to be very careful that we don't blame individuals and in our individual yeah. choices but saying that if you were talking to, to anyone on the street or a family member and they were interested in how they could move better what would you tell them what are the ways that you might recommend them to move better first of all you need to understand how they're moving because yeah. again it's a thing we do so naturally that you know you don't really think about how you're moving around, how many times you actually take the plane, how do you take the train, you know, do you drive to your supermarket that's, you know, 100 meters down the road? So first of all, you need to understand how you're moving around and then from there, see what are your options, right? So understand where you stand, look at your options and then again, where it's realistic, right? So if you, for example, go frequently somewhere that is relatively close that you can actually have access to the train, take the train rather than the car or the plane. If you are, you know, driving down to the train station every morning to to commute to work and it is maybe, you know, a 10, 15 minute walk away, maybe think about walking or, you know, getting a bicycle. It really depends on yourself and your personal situation because obviously if you are, you know, someone who's in their 30s and working in London and single, your situation is going to be very different from a family with three children who needs to go to school. Maybe one is in kindergarten and the other one is secondary school, whatever. So it, it really is a case by case, but I'm sure that most people can find a pretty quick, easy win, even if it's just a small one, where they can reduce their emissions when it comes to travel. What I, I guess I like about that answer is once you understand where you are, what you can also do is be vocal about what you need to change from other people. So be that writing to your your local council about there not being safe cycle routes, which yeah. will enable you to cycle with your kids to school. Or it's actually to your employee, could you kind of have a bit more flexibility in terms of your ability to commute via train or public transport versus car? Understanding, I guess, what you can change, but also what you might need others to change kind of can be very, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's where also, you know, if we're talking about public transport, government needs to come in or, or whoever is running public transport because for example we know that in the uk the government has been trying to get more and more people for example on the trains but if you look at for a lot of areas if you look at prices for trains for most people they would say well why would i take the the train if you know i can do three times a trip with a full tank and yeah. it'll be cheaper so that's where we need to find solutions to actually make it accessible for people because at the moment a lot of the greener solutions are more expensive. And we need to find a way to make it more accessible financially, especially given the current economic uh, situation of, of people. You, I mean, as much as we want to say everyone should make the effort and pay more because of climate change, if you're struggling at the end of the month or if inflation is now 10% or more, it's just not realistic to ask people to make that sacrifice. And realistically, they won't. And it's understandable because they've got an immediate priority or threat to the income. So 
again, it's about making as many solutions and giving it as much space for people to fill as possible. Because if you do that, the majority of people will go for it. So we've talked loads about how organizations could start to develop baseline around the carbon emissions uh, related to transport, how they could potentially look at reducing that. Where does TripShift fit in? What technologies like TripShift enable at organizations? Yeah, so uh, TripShift is not just another carbon calculator. We do things differently. At the moment, most companies, when it comes to collecting uh, travel and transport emissions, are going through either employee surveys or mainly expense sheets. And those only give you partial data. It's only going to give you a very sort of quick glimpse at your emissions, actually. And also, they're not always very reliable. Uh, you know, travel surveys, if you ask the Office of Clarice's every end of the week, fill in a survey, I'm pretty skeptical about how much sort of qualitative and quantitative data you'll get, just because, you know, most people don't like doing that sort of administrative work. Uh, and in terms of the expense sheets, it actually takes a lot of time and resources to actually go through the expense sheets, extrapolate the data, then you have to figure out the carbon emissions, et cetera, and it'll only give you a glimpse of it. TripShift changed that in a sense of we automate the data collection process, which means that you don't have to rely on manual input of data. Our software and our technology basically automatically detects modes of transport, mileage, and then calculates carbon emissions. And that allows companies to have sort of a, a steady stream or a cascade of data that feeds into the system where they can visualize company data in terms of emissions, mode of transport. They can split that by teams. They can identify uh, patterns. They can identify if emissions are coming from a specific team or specific office. And then what we then do is once we've allowed them to sort of highlight those patterns and those sources of emissions, we nudge them in terms of decarbonizing by showing the potential areas of improvement. So again, if most of your emissions are coming by people who are driving by car, you can identify what main teams are, are driving those cars or offices, and then you can have a specific you know, incentive plans to shift those people to electric vehicles. What we also find is that by sharing that data with your employees, you can supercharge your employee engagement. And we find this across the board is the more data you show people, the more interested they are and the more likely they're to remain engaged in the project. Because at the moment, again, when companies are talking about engagement, they're talking about asking employees, please make the effort, fill in all the forms. If you don't, you know, we'll have to start using the stick rather than the carrot. What TripShift allows companies to do is when they talk about engagement is forget about filling in the data. It's about, okay, you can now actually have an active role in your company's transformation policy when it comes to travel emissions and actually you know when people are asked and people are engaged especially when it comes to climate they do want to get involved so that's one way in which we can first of all help companies collect the data they need to set their benchmarks also realistic data so we can do end-to-end -end tracking and data collection both for commuting for business travel and soon for the logistics side of things as well so companies spend the time and the resources on actually analyzing rather than collecting the data and also quite importantly, engaging with their partners and their employees to reduce their emissions. And also finally, the crucial part is, and it's coming quickly, is once the legislation actually kicks in, we also have a reporting system in which you can, again, easily, automatically get your report and it's either for the board of directors, someone who's interested in investing or an auditing body. Fantastic. Sounds like both something that's deeply necessary, but also coming at exactly the right time as well. So listen, 
it's been really enjoyable to talk to you today and to learn a bit more about what TripShift are doing, learn about yourself, but also to kind of have a conversation about some of the big challenges that are out there in terms of transport and moving better. Thank you so much. It's been great to chat to you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our Simply Sustainability podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information, please contact us at sustainability at claricist.com.